Sorry. Well, <laughs> Great opener. <laughs> I should have always been doing this. 480, 480 episodes, and I just now thought of that. Uh, welcome to Everyone's a Critic Movie Review Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bob Zerl. With me, as always, is professional film critic, Sean Patrick. Visit us at IHateCritics.net, Everyone's a Critic Podcast.com. Our social media is Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or handles Critics Pod. Or also, on, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Alexa, all your podcatchers. And we are also on YouTube. Everyone's a critic movie review podcast. Uh, subscribe to the show there. Click on the bell up in the or the eye above our heads somewhere. It's probably like, what do they YouTube tubers point up? And it's always above <laughs> their head. Uh, sure. There's an eye there where you can get a notification and a bell and say uh, when we're live. If you want to watch this, or you can just watch the repeats, either way. And then uh, patreon.com slash criticspod, the best way to help support the podcast. Uh, we'll get back to work on that here in a little bit. But currently out there <clears throat> is the A24, the top 24 of A24. That might it's going to drop next week yeah. in the regular feed. <clears throat> also, the Thanksgiving episode from 2020 is still out there that nobody's heard other than Patreon supporters. So <laughs> that'll drop this Thanksgiving. <laughs> because <laughs> uh, those those are timeless even though they're <clears throat> they're relegated to that area that time period or that that time of the year but every right. year that all works the same and we don't talk about planes trains and automobiles i think maybe once out of all the thanksgiving podcasts we've done chris jericho came on and talked about it <laughs> that's it uh and then there's our t public page where you can get some uh podcast merch head over to i hate critics.net and click on the t public link up in the right hand corner or go to t public and search for us there if you're watching on youtube you can see the logo handbag as uh, one of the things you can get we got the lord of the fitbit design uh we got cameron diaz's shoulder good luck wearing that in public uh <laughs> <clears throat> everyone's a critic and i hate critics uh flag uh, the Willem Dafoe's confusingly large penis shirt, uh, and I forgot the Batman one. There's the Batman versus Jesus one as well. Uh, yeah. I do. Willem Dafoe is a secret star of this podcast. Yeah, we want to make Kevin Bacon one. But this is the <laughs> Batman uh, logo I'm using as a notebook, uh, and I think I don't know if you can see them. Uh, I don't. I'm not maximized, so you guys can't see shit. So don't worry about it. Uh, <laughs> But if you want to help support the podcast, that's another way to do it as well. All right. Yeah. Let's move to our new episode or this week's episode and start with In the Earth. In the Earth is the latest movie from uh, director Ben Wheatley, who has been known on this show uh, for my hating Free Fire and my hating even more his uh, attempt to remake Rebecca. So oh, that, he did not. That's the yeah, guy. I knew you. That's hated, the guy. I remember kind of defending Free Fire without any real, you know, I wasn't that invested in it. it I just didn't hate it as much as you, but yeah, I didn't I realize didn't like they're it. related. That's or that's terrible. <laughs> it's not a great, not a great uh, couple of movies for him, and this one is not that great an improvement over what he's done in the past. Um, this is so the story goes here. It's a set in in a time of a pandemic. A uh, botanist named Martin, played by Joel Fry, 
arrives at this uh, remote cabin where he's going to uh, camp down for a night before he heads out into the woods to try and track down uh, Dr. Uh, Wendell, played by Haley Squires. Dr. Wendell is his boss, also may have been a former lover of his, and she's gone silent on her uh, mission, whatever she's out there doing, her scientific uh, mission. She's not communicating anymore. Uh, so he's out. He's going to go out there to find out why. He's going to be taken into the woods by uh, Alma, played by Elora Torchia, who people might recognize from her uh, role in Midsummer, uh, which this movie really wishes it could be. <laughs> this movie really wishes it could have that kind of power. It doesn't. Uh, but that's kind of what Ben Wheatley's thing is in many ways, is aping the work of other directors. He, you know, he tried to that with Hitchcock and Rebecca. He tried that with Quentin Tarantino and Free Fire. Major malfunction just doesn't work. And him trying to uh, do something trippy and strange like uh, uh, like our guy. Uh, <laughs> Ari Aster, yeah. Ari Aster uh, is a complete failure. Um, not the, not not so much in the visual sense because I I got to give Ben Wheatley this. Even though I said this about Rebecca as well, is that he's he's a terrific visual filmmaker. Rebecca is a great looking movie for being as shit as it is, <laughs> being such a garbage remake as it is. It's a great looking movie. It's sumptuous. It's lively. It's beautiful. And and the images that he creates here in, in the Earth are really terrific. Like there's some really trippy strange stuff that he comes up with. The problem is that it just doesn't have any kind of story going. There's just nothing at the center of this to bring it all together. It's basically just a modest amount of pandemic exploitation going on where uh, it's set, you know, in a time of pandemic, people are treating each other like we do in modern times and, you know, concerned about getting too close to another person and, you know, concerned about making sure that they're clean enough to be around you, that kind of stuff. The, the premise but basically is that a character played by Reese uh, Shearsmith, who plays Zach in the movie, has uh, has been essentially the married partner of Dr. Wendell, unbeknownst to anybody, including Martin. Uh, he, they've split from each other over this their difference of opinion over this entity in the woods that they're both trying to communicate with. He's trying to communicate with this entity via art and via commune and via... Uh, you know, dedication where she's trying to use science and the two, their, their two approaches have put them, put them at odds. And he's starting to now kill people on behalf of this thing. And she's trying to, I don't know if she's trying to save anybody, but (laughs) she doesn't really care that he's killing people. (laughs) And that's basically where Martin and Alma kind of find themselves torn between these two uh, polarized people. And, uh, not a terrible idea for a story, but again, nothing happens. Nothing really interesting develops. Uh, the the one thing that, that that really works is the kind of the body horror that he puts into this. There's a early on the first image you see is Zach, the character of Zach, which you don't really know yet at that point who he is, but he's breaking this rock, and it's a rock that has these jagged pieces, like really sharp jagged pieces. And you see him take one of those jagged pieces and set it up underneath a pile of leaves. It's like Chekhov's shard of rock because <laughs> now it has to go off and harm someone. And well, in the middle of the night, he attacks the two, our two main characters, Martin and Alma and takes their shoes. And right from there, you know, somebody's stepping on that rock and something horrible is going to happen. And when it does, it's effective because it's a really gross injury. So the gore is impressive in that way. It's a really disgusting 
horrific injury that you don't want to look at that the movie makes you look at. So again, there's a lot of really kind of very good things about this, but it just, the story doesn't work. Yeah. <clears throat> and I remember when we did Rebecca, you know, trying to find a way to defend it when I was watching it and then watching the Hitchcock version and just being like, Oh, that's, I mean, yeah, if I were to defend it, I would be bringing something to the story that wasn't there and then accepting stuff that kind of sucked yeah. uh, just to help defend that movie. And it was, you go back and watch Rebecca, the Hitchcock classic, it's, you start, I mean, we've done this with so many classics, the storytelling is so much better because they had to be creative to mm-hmm. get the story across. And it sound, I did not get to see this one. I was going to try to see this one in the theater. <clears throat> uh, more about that later. <coughs> Man, I got shit in my throat. I apologize, people. Uh, but it, it's just disappointing. I mean, even Free Fire is, you know, like you said, it, it's a wannabe Tarantino movie, which there's so many of those that I just kind of was like, it's fine for that, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is disappointing. It's the story is so important. The visuals only get you so far. And I mean, it, it just, it's really, really a bummer. Cause this kind of looks like this is kind of a cool poster. I don't like the fact that they're exploiting the pandemic, uh, which I'm assuming this was made during it as opposed yeah. to happy coincidence. But I don't know. It looked like it could have been good. And I had no idea that Ben Wheatley or whatever. I didn't know who he was, even though I've pretty much seen everything he's done. Apparently <laughs> <laughs> he's done a couple other movies that, that I haven't seen like before free fire, but I never, I've never saw those anything before free fire. Yeah. So this is a, it sucks when a movie sucks, but, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, I mean, you can see he's got a talent for wounds. <laughs> but you just got <laughs> Get with a, a better storyteller and collaborator or something. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, anything else on In the Earth? It's a, it's a disappointment um, based off of, like, there's a lot of good things about it. But, again, the story doesn't work. Let's move on to Trigger Point. <laughs> Trigger Point stars Barry Pepper. Who... What? <laughs> I mean, is this like is this like karma finally coming back around? Like, let's give Barry Pepper a break. I know he was the lead in Battlefield Earth opposite Travolta. Let's twenty years later, let's take him off the the uh, the band list and let him star in a movie. <laughs> Trigger Point has uh, Barry Pepper as one of those only in the movies guys who's a secret assassin who's now on his own who's drawn back into the life after one of his old former employers comes around, uh, played by Colm Fiore, and says, uh, my daughter's been kidnapped and I need your help. Oh, okay. Who's the bad guy in this movie, I wonder? Yeah. <laughs> you only cast Colm Fiore. What do you expect? <laughs> We're really going to buy that he's not the bad guy? Uh, but Pepper takes the gig and goes into the whole thing and is trying. he's pursuing a way to put his past behind him because in his past he was tortured to the point where he gave up uh, some of his fellow assassins and some people got killed. And now a bunch of assassins are getting killed again. And it's related to this person that may have been the person who 
was torturing him, who's probably Colm Fiore. <laughs> not really much of a story here. Uh, the action is fine. It's very old school. It's very you know 90s action movie. Uh, if you enjoyed 90s action movies, I guess you could find something interesting about this. But Barry Pepper it's a nice, seems like a nice enough guy, but as a lead, he's just he's not particularly charismatic. Uh, you don't he doesn't really invite you to invest in him very much. He's the most interesting character in the movie is not him. <laughs> There's this side <laughs> character uh, who who's a waitress at his favorite restaurant. And and she's just so much more interesting than him. <laughs> she's just so much more interesting than everybody in the movie. Not because she's like not a great performance. It's like she's kind of she's kind of off. She's kind of weird, but it's a weird kind of energy that I appreciated uh, because it's just so different than the rest of the movie. She's like at one point she's just like, man, I wish something ha- would happen in town, and then moments later she's kidnapped. <laughs> <laughs> So it's perfect. Just perfect. She's terrific. Her name is uh, Nazneen Contractor, and she's just uh, she's a delight in this movie. Other than that, uh, don't really care for Trigger Point. Yeah, when you gave me the list of movies that we were going to watch this week, I was like, okay, I guess I'm not watching anything at home. Uh, so I really tried hard to get to the theater because there's two movies we we're going to talk about. We already talked about In, Our, in the Earth. Uh, we're going to talk about another one later. And my wife was... I, like we were gonna go last night, and then the day got longer and longer. And finally, she's like, "Is there any way we can watch those at home?" I'm like, "If we could, I would have already suggested that." <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, we've been spoiled, uh, and I'm gonna try to get to the theater when I can. We were both vaccinated, so there's no reason we can't go. Yeah, uh, but it's just other than my son plays baseball, <laughs> and <laughs> they do lots of tournaments, and my job's gotten busier and busier, but. Uh, I say that because Trigger Point was one of the movies. This was the other one, and neither one looked good. So I actually didn't see this. So oh, I don't you didn't know. I see it. Really, no, I didn't get a chance to Killer see it. Killer Among Us is being skipped. Uh, was there <laughs> anything? I should have said something earlier. No problem. Uh, <laughs> any other movies besides Vanquish that we were going to talk about? No, I think Vanquish is the only other one I can think of. Unless there, wasn't there a Netflix one that I watched? I don't remember. <laughs> I don't know. I watched the last blockbuster for no reason. <laughs> I watched that really, too. It's really great, isn't it? It's really a great documentary. <clears throat> yeah, but it's kind of pointless. <laughs> kind of pointless, yes, but <laughs> but, it was, still, but it's entertaining. Yeah, very entertaining. <clears throat> I really enjoyed that. Uh, Vanquish is not something that I enjoyed. Uh, Vanquish stars uh, Ruby Rose as a former assassin who is now working as a home care assistant to Morgan Freeman, who is a. Uh, was America's top cop. He was the most beloved cop in America until one day he was, uh, uh, especially after he was attacked in his home and uh, put into a wheelchair. He became even more beloved. Uh, And she's worked for him now for a couple of years, unaware of the fact that not only is America's top cop, he's also the biggest villain in their town because secretly he's a bad guy. On this particular night, uh, he's decided that he's going to get out of the game completely. So he's going to uh, rely on her former talents as a killer and uh, as a bad person herself to uh, go out and uh, get his money for him. Uh, She's not aware, of course, that he's a bad guy until he says, hey, I'm a bad guy. (laughs) And she's like, you are? She's like, yeah. Oh, uh, that's not good. I don't want to be a bad person anymore. Too bad. I'm taking your daughter. 
So he takes her daughter hostage. And her daughter has a, a uh, one of those in the movies diseases that she could die any minute from. So it's just like oh. really urgent that she figures out how to get all of his money and get it back to him so she can get her daughter back. But uh, he, he basically he's he's going to send her out into the into the bad guy universe that already is pretty much aware of her. Because for the past three years that she's worked for him, he's been keeping her safe from these people because the rest of these people, they know her. and They want to kill her because she wronged them in the past. And everybody she's going to see on this night is somebody that she's fucked over in the past who's going to want to kill her. And it's just lather, rinse, repeat that scene over and over again. So you start with the group of German guys who own a bar who she and her brother had fucked over years ago. She's there to pick up the money and they're like, no, I know you. I'm going to kill you. And so she has to kill all of them. So she does. She leaves there. She goes and finds a bunch of black guys. She's going to get the money there. She's like, wait a minute. I remember you. Everybody starts dying again uh, and over and over and over again through about five different times. And meanwhile, all the while, Morgan Freeman is in a wheelchair, but he's got this camera on her that he can see everything that she does. So one of the one of the dumb things that they really should have thought of that should have been very obvious is that you've got Morgan Freeman essentially narrating the action of an action movie, but they never call attention to it. They never make a joke about it. It's like, how do you miss that joke? That just made your movie that much worse because you're not even smart enough to make the Morgan Freeman narrator joke. They had it in there, but they heard your review of Coming to America too, so they cut it out. <laughs> <laughs> So, so yeah, uh, Ruby Rose is really great. You know, I like her a lot. She's very charismatic. She's a character that I would, or she's an actress that I would want to follow in a story like this. But it's again, it's just all just the same thing over and over and over again to to add to infinitum, infinitum, and it's just there's just I get tired after a while. I get bored. It's not. It becomes the more you see. Uh, Ruby Rose riding a motorcycle, the less interesting it gets. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's disappointing. So we're over three. <clears throat> it's funny because, you know, like the last couple of weeks, people were accusing me of liking everything. Like, you liked Hollow Point? Like, what? That movie's shit. Do you <laughs> like everything now? And now this week, I'm like, everything sucks. And it's like, why does he hate everything? <laughs> the guy hates everything. He got vaccinated and it was over. <laughs> <laughs> the vaccine turned me evil. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to our classic. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the main event for the linear, legitimate, and universally recognized, undisputed classic. Ichi the Killer. Ichi the Killer, because um, we wanted a, a, a violent movie to go with Vanquish, which is a sort of kind of violent movie in a lame sort of way. <laughs> it was all bad guys. <laughs> this, yeah. this movie is from uh, 2001, and it's from director Takashi Miike, who's, uh, whose work is kind of a blind spot for me. I've never really looked much into Miike's work, but uh, this movie impressed me in a, in a, in a very unique way. Because uh, I don't think this is a good movie per se, but as a commentary on movies and as a commentary, especially on action movies and the logical extension of of the way our our sort of bloodlust at the movies goes, this kind of is takes that to uh, to the 
extreme it would go to, essentially, uh, to the point where violence becomes so important to the main characters that they can't achieve any kind of pleasure without violence. And that, to me, is is in a way, when you, see, when you look at it from 2001, that is one way to see the future of, of American and you know, world cinema, really, is the, uh, the idea that we're seeing so much action and so much uh, bullets and blood and guts and all that stuff, that we're seeing so much of this, we're becoming so desensitized to it all, that at a certain point, we're not even going to be able to achieve pleasure without having a violent component. And that to me really, that's what I found really appealing about Ichi the Killer was this, this not so much the story, because there really isn't one. Uh, not necessarily even the characters, because the characters are all awful creeps. <laughs> like every one of them is a, just an awful creep. So you have nothing to grab onto but the violence. And that is a very daring way to tell a story. If you were trying to put this in a sort of linear sort of film perspective, the idea here is that uh, a, a man na- a man just simply called the old man has created a killer in Ichi who he sets upon people that he doesn't like. Uh, and Ichi is then set on the path of meeting up with Kakihara, who's actually the person in the poster, not Ichi. Yeah. That's not Ichi. That's Kakihara. And they're set on the, set on a path because Ichi is sent to kill Kakihara's boss. Kakihara happens to really like his boss. In fact, he may like him more than he's willing to admit because the boss is the only person who can treat him in a violent fashion that he feels is violent enough, but also filled with love. Like he feels like the violence that he gets from his boss is violence with love. And this is not necessarily coded as gay, but if you look at it from various different angles, you can kind of see where the character is coded that way. And that's again, a very interesting way to portray this character. Um, and like I said, that's, there's a lot of stuff there. Then the rest of it is basically just a lot of really hardcore, disgusting, gross out shock violence and sexuality. And, I, I appreciated the shocks because that's all there are. You can't grab onto these characters. You can't going in. Like I, I've not known much about Ichi the killer. So I thought I just assumed Ichi was like one of those John wick like characters, like a hired assassin. who's really cool. And he's not, <laughs> he's an awful, awful, disgusting, pathetic, empty vessel who we meet him when he's standing on a, on a, outside a window looking in on somebody who is raping a woman and beating this woman to, to death. And he does nothing to stop it. And in fact, when he gets discovered, the rapist comes to the window where he was standing and he's disappeared. And all that's left is just a giant puddle of jizz, just the, a prodigious amount of jizz on a plant that drips to the ground. And then we see the title of the movie emerge from that. (laughs) (laughs) and you're just left kind of like what do you grab onto in this movie because kakihara is is a not a good person he's not a he's not a character you can grab onto and look at he's even an anti-hero he he's a piece of shit (laughs) so you're again all you can do is is kind of judge and, and just kind of you know take in the violence that's really all you get because you can't grab onto the characters it's not like our action movies of the 80s and 90s where you have that that distance from the from the violence via your your identification with Schwarzenegger, your identification with with uh, Stallone, your identification with Bruce Willis. You can identify with those characters or Seagal, and they give you kind of a distance because they're the ones enacting the violence, and you get to fantasize through them. 
there is no avatar for you here. There is no one you get to fantasize through. You don't get to have your violent fantasy here in this movie because you can't, if you're trying to identify with Ichi, that's really revealing of you in a very disturbing way. <laughs> and the same goes for Kakihara. You can't identify with Kakihara because again, it reveals you in a very disturbing sort of way. And it's like Mike is essentially like challenging the audience to, to really take a look at the end price of actual violence, even though it's cartoonish in the way that it's presented because it is so low rent. It's still, that's all there is for you to grab onto is the extraordinary violence and blood and gore. Yeah, <clears throat> man, I wish I didn't have so much mucus in my throat. <laughs> uh, I don't even feel sick. It just right now it's allergies. Uh, <clears throat> this is the second time I've seen it, and it made sense more this time than the first time. Uh, and, you know, clearly Eli Ross been inspired by uh, Takashi Mika, even Tarantino to an extent. Uh, and it, it's... I, I don't know how to... <clears throat> I think there's a bunch of different layers to this movie than... Uh, you'd think one is the one you brought up, uh, the the violence. The other is, um, I mean, <clears throat> you could take it and just talk it th- about the way we view anything, not even just cinema. Uh, it, it, you know, everything we consume anymore it has to be more and more over the top, and uh, with it, even if it's just as simply the news. <clears throat> and then on top of that, these are all bad men. You know, you could take this story and pull it out and put it in a most violent year or some any other where you just have all these guys controlling things and doing bad things to maintain their control over whatever it is. Uh, like like Sean said, there's no likable character in here, which this is one of the in, I've always defended movies that have characters that are all bad. Uh, you know, there's the Freddy and Jasons, which I don't even count, but you know, some other movies that I think are successful doing it, but I know Sean hasn't liked because of that fact. This is one I think that kind of pulls it off in a weird way. Cause I, I think it's, it's not simply, I think he's saying something with the violence, like Sean was saying, yeah. I think he's saying something with, and I think he's saying a lot of things. And, and then to me, that's really neat. And then you throw in the fact, kind of the low budget quality of it. Uh, that makes it a little impressive too. Some of it's not great to look at in 2021. Uh, mm-hmm. Some of the when the guy gets cut in half looks pretty stupid. When the face goes sliding across, I mean, some of it yeah. doesn't hold up. But other stuff's pretty. You know, there's some Kill Bill blood squirts all over the place. A lot of them actually. Yeah. <clears throat> but I just that's oh man the, the the scene. There's a scene in this movie where. He is a. It's a second scene where he see where he's watching essentially a rapist uh, do great harm to a woman, and the lesson that he's taken away from the culture that he's been brought up in is not that he needs to step in and be the hero here and protect her. Instead, once he gets in there and he kills the rapist, he reassures this woman by saying, "Don't worry. Now that he's dead." I'll be the one who tortures you and kills you. So you still get your torture and violence and death, but now you're going to get it from me. A complete misunderstanding, of course, of of the whole situation, but perfectly 
in in line with how this character and, and essentially a lot of disconnected, uh, desensitized people start to see violence as the as the sum, not the not the way not the means but is the sum of what you're supposed to get out of it is the violence itself as opposed to like you know when schwarzenegger kills somebody in like commando he's trying to rescue his daughter right but if you but if you take that if you forget what the motivation is and you're just focused on boom giant explosion boom uh, this guy got his throat ripped out you know that kind of stuff you start seeing that when you become so desensitized, you become to see that as the main reason why you're watching the movie and not the moral lesson about protecting you know, people who can't protect themselves. That's essentially the, the sum total of desensitization. And that's what, what Mike is going for here is that uh, is this is what you're, this is what you're building towards. If you continue to discount the, the actual violence itself and just treat violence as entertainment. And then you throw in the fact that this, the old man character, as you call him, I think his name is Gigi, or I can't, I don't know if they ever actually say it in the movie. Uh, yeah, they just, Gigi is just the old man. So. Yeah. Uh, they, he's essentially brainwashing Ichi, and, and he, and then there's a kid in it who's then brainwashing or manipulating the way other, like, uh, oh, what's, oh, what the hell is his name? The guy on the poster here, uh, Kakihari. Kakihari. Uh, there's a kid in here who's also, uh, you know, manipulating the way that he views something that happened to uh, uh, him. Or he got the old man. I, I don't know. But there's a lot of brainwashing. The old man is, is really just running the whole thing. He's the one who puts Ichi and Kakihara together. Right. And is building towards their in you know confrontation and the interesting thing about that actor Shinya Sakamoto is actually a director himself yes. so casting him uh, as as the director of all the action here and he's the guy that Mike says is like this guy was a great influence on me uh growing up because and so he casts him here as the director of all the violence here and it suddenly positions Mike as almost like this is what could have been me. I'm Ichi, and this is you know, this could have been me as I've been manipulated by the images that I've grown up watching. If I didn't have, you know, like a moral compass, or if I didn't, you know, if I didn't learn my lesson about taking this stuff a little bit more seriously. But then the kid kind of takes over the manipulation, and in the end, you know, the old man's hanging from a tree. <laughs> uh, uh, so the old the, the kid who, who's plays the son of another important character kind of the third or i guess the, the third wheel of the ending but the fourth wheel you know the old man controls everything but the three guys he's controlling this kid's the kid of one of those guys i can't think of his name off the hand either right the, but, the, the kid though i mean like uh, from that perspective it's like it's perfect because here's a kid who doesn't understand yes what he's seeing in the he doesn't have a cr- complete grasp on the actual you know, death that's happening. And he's able to write everything that was wrong with this movie. Uh, at least that's kind of the idea they were going for. I, I don't know. I just, the whole thing's fascinating. And I mean, I was, I was telling you and I, I wasn't thought out, uh, but I could see you taking the story and throwing the violence out and using the, the manipulation and the horrible things that are done, you know, whether it's violence or just words or just thing, hateful things people say, uh, you could throw this into like a QAnon thing 
and kind of get three heads. Maybe one's Trump, one the Q could be the old man. And you, I mean, I, I haven't thought it all out, but you really right. could make this movie with that. Even if you did the January sixth, the Capitol riots. Yeah. <clears throat> Not that I'd ever want to make this movie, but if you were, you could take this movie and remake it as something like that with the way they did. I don't know. I just it, it makes me dislike Hostel that much more. <laughs> Yeah, which is a long way of getting. Eli Roth doesn't get it. He doesn't. He doesn't get it. He doesn't understand the 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 point that's being made in this movie. I think he's he's kind of the sum total, really, of of somebody who thinks that the violence should be like yes, the violence, yes, more violence, more guts, more blood, yes. No, you're missing the point. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, because he has failed with story more or less, unless somebody wrote the story for him. Yeah. Uh, uh, and even then, it's not always great. Death Wish, but uh, yeah, that clock, the house with the clock in the walls was okay. But yeah, yeah it, this, I don't know. It just, it was so much better this time around than the first time I saw it. And the more I sit and think about it, the more I start to like it more. And I, I know there's even more I'm missing. Right. Uh, I, I was just really impressed. I was interesting. It's interesting because I was comparing it. uh, I wrote a big, long article that will probably be out tomorrow about uh, more expanding on these ideas. But I was comparing it to uh, Clockwork Orange and Fight Club, which have similar ideas about the way media shapes the way you you view the world. And that's kind of what this movie is about sort of indirectly, because it's not necessarily there's no direct like allusion to media and how it shaped Ichi or Kakihara. That's not in the movie. That's what I'm bringing to the movie. But Mike brings that to the movie by casting Sakamoto as the old man who's manipulating everything. That's where that, that's the ground, that's the foundation of the story. And so that's where I get my idea from. Right. And, and what he's getting at in 2001, he's talking about an idea where we're becoming so desensitized to violence that we can't find pleasure without it. And that was one way that society could go. But the other way I think we went is yes, we, we got as desensitized as this movie, as this movie it seems to intend that we're getting and is trying to warn us away from, but we've become desensitized in a way that is not wherein we divine pleasure from, from violence, but that we become completely and utterly apathetic to it. We we just we see it. There were how many mass shootings over the weekend? No shit. Like we're so apathetic to it that it's basically just a headline and we're all just kind of standing on the sidelines, hoping that we're not caught in a crossfire. And it's not exciting to us. It's not it's not even scary to us. It's just kind of whatever. I nothing I can do about it. Well, yeah, there's plenty you can do about it. (laughs) You just don't do it because apathy is the is the real like sum total of, of the amount of violence that we've been uh, exposed to over years and years and years. But I think that also that encourages the copycat type thing. You're right. Most people don't do it, but just enough do it where, you know, four or five do it in a day. That's, that's a big deal. Uh, but there's still so many millions of people, billions of people in the world that four or five is not a lot of people. Uh, but it's, I don't know, it's, uh, I guess we could go on a whole other tangent, but <laughs> we're supposed to be shocked and we're not shocked no. anymore. And I think we're incapable of being shocked. And maybe that's the effect of nine 11 kind of, you know, settling itself over us 20 years later. 
that you know, we're, we're incapable of being shocked or feeling shocked anymore. Um, maybe George Floyd kind of was a flashpoint where we did kind of find our shock a little bit again, but that's already gone. We've already worn that out. And we're back to a point where we've got three mass shootings in a single weekend and everybody's like, you yeah, know, that happened. Just, there's nothing we can do about it. Though. It's just turned into a political <laughs> argument again when it's like no one's trying to and it's not simply a politics thing. There's a million things you can do outside of politics to try to cut down on mass shootings and nobody <laughs> You know, everybody wants to, but nobody has, a, right. especially that any sorts of power, is doing anything about it. Uh, Not everybody's feeling apathy, but most people are. Well, the area's feeling apathy, are. but nobody's doing anything about. You know, how do, I don't know. And then you know, back to this movie, uh, and Takashi Miike's in Hostel. Mm-hmm. Not as the character that, you know, he's not playing the director that inspired Eli Roth. He's just in it as an extra. Yeah. And and it pisses you off because you feel like he read the script. And I could see that script because that movie should be about not being able to feel pleasure because you're so rich and privileged. And, and in a way it is, but he's not. He does such a bad job telling that story that it's lost. Yeah. And it's one of those where you like he read the script and he thought it was something it wasn't, and then you like Roth get in there and just try to make a comedy with gross shit in it. <laughs> it just makes you that much more mad <laughs> at Hostel. <laughs> what if you made American Pie a horror movie? He would have said Porky's, <laughs> but either way. <laughs> but, but that's what happened. Yeah, and. I don't know, but and I don't know if maybe watching it in 2021 makes this one that maybe it actually aged better as the violence aged poorer, the mm-hmm. message behind it aged better. Maybe I don't know, but it, I just was way more fascinated by it. I remember right off the bat, I'm like, thank God this was Sean's idea because uh, the spooge early on, and then <laughs> some of the the violent like when you he think cuts, i was gonna just turn it off after that point <laughs> i i would have been surprised i like i wasn't sure if you'd seen it yet and yeah. i was like he's not gonna watch this whole movie maybe and i mean there's a scene where he cuts his tongue off and yeah. it's not short i mean and he cuts through it all the way and it uh you know <laughs> excuse me sorry i think night of the virgin changed me more than i'm willing to admit <laughs> more than i would like it to like i can still find my my level of like disgust but it's definitely moved that plus martyrs i think have moved the bar on what i can tolerate <laughs> in a way that is uh, a little bit disturbing to me now when i'm thinking about the point of this movie <laughs> but when you put depth behind it you know yeah. it's you're tolerating it but it's the depth of idea and I don't know. It, it, it's just like watching, you know, we're so beyond desensitized to violence. We're desensitized to normal movies where it's even hard to. Oh, my God. Mid, like mid, your reaction to Midsummer, Like, right. You're just, <laughs> you know, it's you, you. We've seen so many of them. So then you go up here to a different culture and that version of storytelling is so much more. I don't know. It's just, there's a different depth that we're not used to, and yeah. it's like watching a classic and seeing a simple story told properly, and it's just like Jesus. Why can't we do this anymore? Right. 
And I mean, I would, you know, if you, I've been wondering why I gravitate so much to I blame society or right. uh, uh, Gi- the Giants movie or H is for happiness for that matter, because they're just they're just so different. Holy original. Yeah. Yeah. And then you look Whereas at the, you know, with the, you get a movie like Vanquish or Hollow Point. They might as well be the same fucking movie. Right. <laughs> and then you look at. I mean, I guess Takashi Miike has made like a hundred movies in the twenty-year sh- window or something like that. Yeah, uh, I've only seen two, and I couldn't. I don't even remember audition. Uh, I, I mean, I remember the gross parts of it, but I don't remember. <laughs> like, I'm when we eventually go back and do that one. I'm yeah, looking will. forward to it. But he's got a like from next to no budget to big budget movies. He actually had a movie in theaters a couple years ago in the U.S. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm kind of excited to kind of make him our new David Cronenberger <laughs> or whatever, <laughs> you know, other, yeah. other directors, Hitchcock, which he was already <laughs> there, but, uh, guys that we've made sure to yeah. go back and watch and we're not done with David Cronenberg by any stretch of the no, imagination. There's still plenty to go there, but it's good to add this to the list and kind of start when we need a movie. Uh, let's, let's find a Takashi Miike movie or, you know, <laughs> So I'm excited about that. Anything else on Ichi the Killer? Uh, you know, it's not uh, not going to be for everybody, like typically speaking, because not everybody's going to you know go into it looking for something to grab onto the way I was. And uh, if you go into this just thinking it's going to be an action movie with extreme gore, um, you're going to be. I think you're going to be disappointed. Well, I, do. Would, I think. Yeah. Well, you in- can't get traditional pleasure from this movie. This movie actively acts against you getting that traditional action movie violent thrill. And I love that. That makes me love this movie even more. <laughs> right. And and it's also different than a movie like Old Boy or even Martyrs, you know, other foreign movies that have a different type of depth to them where there's something so big that happens that's just like this eye-opening moment that doesn't really exist in this movie it's more the movie as a whole yeah and so i don't know you gotta watch it for what it is if you do give this one a shot and just be ready to dig i mean the way we watch enemies a way to watch a movie like this uh yeah a clockwork orange you mentioned uh i don't know this was i would add add fight club to that too i think fight club has the the same it deserves the same kind of consideration those three movies clockwork orange fight club and this are are three three movies with incredibly similar themes yes. that you don't even realize how similar they they are but it's not a movie to watch at surface level like you were saying <laughs> right all right let's you ready to be let down <laughs> <laughs> sure Drop Dead Fred <laughs> turns 30 this year. <laughs> Fuck this movie. Oh, man. You know, somebody thought that this was going to make Rick Mayall a star. Uh, no. The poor, <laughs> poor man's Martin Short. <laughs> uh, the story goes that Phoebe Cates is a grown up who. Uh, rediscovers her childhood invisible friend named drop dead Fred, who comes back to life essentially and starts haunting her like a ghost. Uh, She's trying to get rid of him, but then the whole point of the story is her to embracing the Fred side of her, the the fun, stupid, childish side of her. 
Oh, my God. Look at that tagline. Go ahead and read that tagline right there. That tells you everything you need to know. (laughs) Dishes, relationships, wind, the sky breaks everything. Uh, You you just know two people high-fived when they put that on the poster. Like, yeah, we nailed it. Got a fart joke on the poster. The kids are going to go crazy. (laughs) It's too complicated to get there. I mean, it's... (laughs) Like a fart joke has to come out of nowhere, and this is too, there's too much going on in this failed attempt at a joke. But, I mean, you're 100% right. This is way too thought out. A high five at the end, and <laughs> ends up being a stupid tagline. Uh. Yeah. Yet I, I found people who still love this movie. Like, this movie lingers. This movie has, has a, uh, a fan base. <clears throat> My wife I don't tried know why, to- but. My wife, tried to ma- my wife tried to make this movie we watched as a family this week, and I, I'm like, look, if we're not going to watch, go to the theater. We're not watching this piece of shit. <laughs> I hated this movie as a kid. I mean, again, I understand there's Ugh. nostalgia factors, and people are going to carry the, the bad movies they watch as a kid. And I mean, Elf is one. I mean, I won't, won't call it a bad movie, I guess, but there's a El- there's a certain age of kids that grew up with Elf, and that's just become this amazing movie that. You know, even Goonies. I totally every, don't get. <laughs> pretty much every movie we've gone back and watched that has nostalgia value uh, doesn't hold up the way we want it to. Yeah. Uh, Goonies and Willow and whatever else, Labyrinth. I, I don't. It's. And this is even worse than all those. So. Oh, so much so. I just can't stand this utter garbage of a movie. The only good thing about this movie is that it inspired an incredible episode of How Did This Get Made that is an absolute must-listen because it is completely, completely insane and off the chain. It's a live episode, and they're just it's all over the place. I loved it. That's the best thing that this movie has ever inspired is that episode of How Did This Get Made. And was this kind of the end of Phoebe Kate's career? I mean, she used to yeah. be a huge star. Yeah, I think so. I mean, yeah, because she, she doesn't really out. do much after this. And I think a lot of it was on her own, probably because she kept getting stuck in movies like this. But <laughs> this would make anyone want to give up acting. <laughs> Rick May, although he's like a, a legend in England, he's beloved over there for like the young ones and uh, his stand-up comedy. He's a you know music music and comedy that he does. He's a legend, and I'm I'm sure he's very funny. This was not a great uh, showcase. For him. Well, you look at all the legends here. You know how many great movies has Steve Martin made or Martin Short or? Uh, yeah, don't go down that Steve Martin rabbit hole. That's not a good one. You don't know. <laughs> you don't even know. Right. Like people think you know we we kind of have this protective barrier around Steve Martin, but if you actually looked at his movies, you'd be kind of surprised at how shitty they all are. <laughs> yeah, I think Steve Martin more than anything is the influence he's had on people has been more yeah. pronounced. His stand up is not funny. It's not. I've listened to it. It's not funny. <sighs> I know that's subjective, but I try and listen try and listen to Steve Martin today and see if you see if you laugh. I've never tried. <laughs> I mean he's done funny sketches here and there. I love his Yeah, I think his SNL, SNL stuff, stuff is not like that still kinda holds up. King Tut's funny. <laughs> Uh, here's a movie with Demi Moore and Bruce Willis and Harvey Keitel, and it's forgettable. 
and completely forgettable. This is another one of those Hollywood movies where they portray lower class people just simply by their hair. (laughs) We all just, oh yeah, they must be lower class because they got terrible hair. That's uh, that's how we judge these people. Terrible hair. (laughs) This is how you'll stand out. Yeah. Give you terrible hair. This is terrible hair. The movie. But if if this was even remotely memorable with this cast, we'd have talked about it before. So yeah, yeah, never again. And then one man's war with Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> they tortured his friends, murdered his son. It was everybody's fight, but it became one man's war. Didn't watch it. See, this should, <laughs> should star like Dolph Lundgren. I, I fell asleep like halfway through the tag there, so. <laughs> but that is our show how do i stop the show here we go we're back uh next week all things mortal Kombat. uh i don't know how available every mortal Kombat movie is but we're gonna watch the new one and the classic is street fighter no yeah (laughs) if we can't find the mortal Kombat (laughs) movies we'll watch street fighter yeah we're Uh, actually gonna watch mortal Kombat and mortal Kombat annihilation um because we're idiots well, sometimes I have to watch movies <laughs> to be part of the show. So there's actually nothing else really coming out. I mean, there's a foreign film that I might be able to see, but there's actually really nothing else on the docket for next week. So it's going to be all Mortal Kombat wall to wall next week. Takashi Miike made any fighting movies? <laughs> <laughs> I bet he did. I uh, bet he did. Uh, no, but it'll be easy to. It'll be easy for me to watch these at least because I believe Mortal Kombat's on HBO Max as well yeah. as the theaters. So, mm-hmm. and it's rated R, if I'm not mistaken. As I understand so it, we'll yeah. see if there's any purpose behind that or not. Uh, <laughs> 1991, uh, A Kiss Before Dying, Oscar, the Stallone comedy, uh, Talent for the Game, and Toy Soldiers all turned 30. My mom loved Oscar so much, so much. One of her favorite movies ever. I defended that a lot. I mean, I didn't watch it like I watched Hot Shots, but I watched it. I mean, I, I'm a huge, was a huge Stallone fan, so I was like trying to collect everything. Uh, and then I got a little older. I'm like, oh, he's in porn. I'm gonna quit collecting his movies. <laughs> I have not seen that one. Will not defend it. Have no interest in seeing it. Don't even know if it's available anywhere. <laughs> uh, but that's what's up for next week. Uh, funny- Stallone's porn. No, <laughs> Stallone's comedy Oscar. Oh, okay. Probably his best comedy. That's not saying much. That's not saying much. No, you're comparing that to what? Stop uh, my mom will shoot. <laughs> and his movies that are the, es- the escape plan movies. <laughs> I compare those to the grown up movies. <laughs> those should be both of those franchises should be amazing or at least fun in their neither. <sighs> All right, let's go to flick chart. This looks like it's going to start off fun. Uh, Showgirls and Eli. <laughs> I don't. I've not seen Eli. I don't know Eli. Eli. Showgirls or Gladiator? <laughs> now you're talking about what's better or what I'd watch first. Because I'm watching Showgirls. <clears throat> it must be weird having a job where guys don't come on you. <laughs> work in either movie uh i'm gonna go gladiator i don't 
I'd watch Showgirls for a while, but not enough to. <laughs> yeah, Ridley Scott beats Paul Verhoeven. Ah, damn it. Death becomes her and glorious bastards. Inglorious bastards. I have a weird Dude. death becomes her thing, though. Like, a girl I dated wanted me to take her to death becomes her. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's 1994. I'm like 17 years old. I'm like, I'm not going to go see Meryl Streep. <laughs> <laughs> She's like Travis Bickle, and you're the Civil Shepherd character. <laughs> and instead of New York porn, it's death becomes her. <laughs> Uh, backdraft alien resurrection backdraft I can't wait for this to be disappointing later this year <laughs> right nacho libre adaptation adaptation i don't hate nacho libre i don't either but it, just comparing the two is laughable. yeah there's not many movies nacho libre could beat <laughs> right i mean i'm a i defend jack black probably too much Moneyball, an American tale, Five Goes West. Moneyball, yeah. Agreed. Superman 3, The Island. <laughs> oh, man. Two supremely shitty films. Uh, which one smells less? Uh, the Island. I think I agree <laughs> with you. I think it's shorter, too. <laughs> Iron Man 2, Be Dazzled. Iron Man 2. Agreed. Uh, born on the 4th of July, Hellboy 2, The Golden Army. Oh, my God. I guess it's Born on the 4th of July, but I don't want to watch either of those movies. I haven't seen the Hellboys, but people like those movies. Mm-hmm. Oh, shit. I hit the wrong one. <laughs> I didn't hit either. I just got rid of one. Yeah. Hard Candy or The Phantom of the Opera? Hard Candy. Yeah, that movie's fantastic. And hard to watch. Uh, what is next? Joke. Oh, on the water. <laughs> Sometimes it takes too long. To, what was the? What? Eh, who cares? On the waterfront. Double Jeopardy. On the waterfront. Yeah. Girl. Double Jeopardy isn't about double Jeopardy. Nope. <laughs> Girl Interrupted, the General's Daughter. Girl Interrupted. If I'm not mistaken, the General's Daughter is really, really bad. Yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> like, one of, like borderline one of the worst movies ever made bad. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm eager to watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> Flight Plan, Babel. Babel. Agreed. Beavis and Butthead to America, The Hurt Locker. Man... That's tough. I'm going to go Hurt Locker, but I love Beavis. Not bad, That's a though. funny movie. Yeah. I'm going to go with you, though. I, I like the Hurt Locker better. Matchstick Men, A View to Kill. Matchstick Men is a disappointing movie, and it's still better than A View to a Kill. <laughs> yep. Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice, Hollow Man. Batman versus Superman. Absolutely. Although, again, that Kevin Bacon's dick comes back into the back into the podcast. It's invisible, but it's there. <laughs> can I find a way to work it into every podcast now? <laughs> then we can do a shirt. <laughs> you could have a lot of dick shirts. <laughs> <laughs> 
trying to corner the market. I still yeah. I still know what you did last summer, the Maltese Falcon. <laughs> Maltese Falcon. This has been up the whole time, and I didn't read <laughs> until I said them out loud. They weren't funny. Uh, Vegas uh, Vacation or the A Team? A Team. Okay. They're both shit. So. Pet Cemetery Pirates. <laughs> I'm not seeing pirates. Pet Cemetery Legends of the Fall. Although I have seen a pirates movie where Kevin Bacon's dick features. <laughs> <laughs> Tim and Kira Sedgwick. It's a great movie, actually. Uh, what movie? I think is that's P Y R A T E S. Every time they have sex, they they set their house on fire. <laughs> because of his dick. But <laughs> perhaps. <laughs> Uh, Legends of the Fall. And Pet Cemetery is terrible. Awful. Unwatchable. Halloween, Bruce Almighty. Bruce Almighty. I won't argue. I don't love Halloween. The Professional Road Trip. Professional is a better movie. I'd watch Road Trip. <laughs> I'll flip it. I'll go Professional. Road Trip it is. <laughs> so many people mad on the internet right now. So many people are Coraline, Freddy versus Jason. I really like Freddy versus Jason, but Coraline's way better. Yeah. How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World, Monty Python's The Meaning of Life. Monty Python. I just I have no I have no interest in the How to Train Your Dragon movies. Yeah, the Holiday, The Exorcism of Emily Rose. <laughs> A holiday. I'm just thinking about how much Josh hates this movie. <laughs> or how much he, the two movies before that, where he, I, don't, I forgot what they were already, but <laughs> he liked the movie you hate. <laughs> so, uh, the Terminal Sneakers. Uh, sneakers, because The Terminal is unwatchable. There needs to be a movie called The Terminal Sneakers. <laughs> <laughs> West Side Story, Cold Mountain. See, these are two really good movies. Um, I think Cold Mountain is desperately underrated, and I think I would actually watch Cold Mountain. I agree. I actually don't like West Side Story. I do. I like it a lot. Gone with the Wind, Young Guns 2. Young Guns 2. 